Welcome to the NHS Evolution Exchange podcast, everyone. Uh, I'm excited to be hosting my first female leadership with four fantastic female leaders from within the NHS. Um, I'm excited to start with some introductions. So I will let you know who I am. My name's Rose. I work within the NHS team here at Evolution. I'm specifically working with ICSs and ICBs up and down the UK. Um, so that's me, Tristy. If you'd like to come in and introduce yourself, please. Hi, Rose. Uh, I'm Tristy Tanaka. I'm head of the uh, Chief Medical Office Directorate uh, at the NHS Black Country Integrated Care Board. Um, I've been with the NHS since February of last year, so I'm a bit of a newbie, um, but I have been in the business, if you like. So uh, working alongside um, technologists uh, for over 25 years, so I'm a bit long in the tooth. I have seen the, the world before the internet, and and I say that in the context of, of all things that we're going to talk about today, with my opinion about Ace, it. thank you, Tristy. That's brilliant. Uh, and Jessica, you're up next. If you'd like to introduce yourself. Yeah, hi everyone. Um, I'm Jessica Lavoie. I am the Head of Partnerships, Governance and Programmes at South East London ICS. And that's a really long-winded way of saying um, working on ICS development, whatever that may be. Um, so yeah, nice to be here today. Um, really, really excited uh, to, to be here. Um, I've been working in the NHS for roughly about 10 years now. Um, I dibble-dabbled in the civil service a little bit. Um, uh, but I didn't. I didn't stay there for very long. So um, pretty much NHS through and through. Um, so yeah, like feel like um, could talk forever about it. But uh, yeah, love it. That's what we like to hear. Amazing. Uh, and Soma, if you would like to go next, please. Thank you, Rose. Um, so my name is Soumya Soumya Hebar, and I'm the associate director for People for the Lincolnshire ICS. And I lead what is called the People Hub. Um, the People Hub is a team that's responsible for delivering transformational projects in the workspace people um, area for um, our ICS. Um, I'm all about the people. I'm all about attracting the right people, developing them, retaining them within the NHS. I'm really passionate about diversity and inclusion. Um, that's uh, an area that I do a lot of work in as well. Um, I'm like Tristy, a little bit of a newbie in the NHS, though I don't know how long I can say that. I've been here about three and a half years now. <laughs> Um, with about, um, you know, all of my 16, 17 years of experience before that has been in the IT consulting space, but always in the people arena. Excellent. Thank you so much. And thanks for joining us. And last but not least, Neelam, if you would like to introduce yourself, please. Thanks, Rose. Hello, everyone. So I'm Neelam Patel. I'm Chief Executive of an organisation called MedCity, which is a not-for-profit organisation that supports um, innovation uh, development uh, for the improvement outcomes and the growth of our economy. Um, my background is slightly different to um, the colleagues that we have here. So a lot of my background has been in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, but um, in addition to that, I've worked in various roles that have touched the NHS, um, including working in the NIHR, which is the National Health Research that funds research within the NHS, and also um, developed uh, an innovation program uh, with the Chelsea um, Health Charity with the trust. So uh, I, I'm an absolute um, fan of all things that health and care and a pleasure to be here. Amazing. Thank you so much. That's excellent. So we will move on to our questions and our talking points. So Soumya, I'm going to start with yours, if that's OK. Um, we are discussing describe your leadership style and how you lead others. Uh, and a good point, is it different to your male counterparts? 
if you'd like to tell us a little bit of background on why you thought that, and then I'll take it around the panel. So I think in terms of leadership styles, um, you know, and I'm an OD, a professional by background, I can go on for a really long time on different kinds of leadership. But I think given um, what we've all seen in the NHS with COVID, I thought this question was really pertinent because what's important is the way we've had to change our leadership style um, and adapt to managing people through COVID. Um, so, you know, I've I've seen leaders transform their teams, moving from a collaborative style of leadership to a more command and control style of leadership through COVID. Um, and where now we actually have to go back to being those transformer, uh, transformational leaders, to being those leaders with a focus on well-being, focus on people, and actually, in a way, almost being situational leaders so you have different styles of leading people depending on the situation and depending on who you're interacting with in that situation. So I think there's never been uh, a greater pressure on leaders in the NHS than is today. Um, and very clearly, uh, leadership is a skill that you can develop, that you can learn over time. And, you know, so please spend as much time as you can learning more about yourself, developing yourself. I think that's really, really key. Um, the second part of your question, Rose, is it really different from your male counterpart? Now, I don't want to give you a very stereotypical answer. Uh, I'm not going to fall into that. But I think all I want to say is this is the time when leaders have to be very aware of their own strength, of their own leadership styles, of you know what they can capitalize on, but equally importantly, also understand where their gaps are what are their areas of improvement and how they're willing to develop that. And that can only happen by having an interactive discussion with your team, with your peers about, you know, something that I use is I constantly ask my team, what should I continue doing? What should I start doing? And what would you like me to stop doing? And the answer varies depending on, you know, who it is I interact with. But I think this is really important. Oh, that's brilliant. Tristy, I'll come in to you with your thoughts, if that's okay. Well, as, as, so Mia has said, there's many different ways to describe leadership style. And I couldn't say that I could pin it to one because um, I think there's something about uh, the servant leadership model, but I hate the term servant. There's something about that that I don't like at all. Um, I, I do appreciate... Um, stewardship there's something about growing and tending with and um alongside um and um Somia mentioned um situational and i think there's probably a blend of all of that together in the way that i like to think that i work with others and um I, I think that this is very important as we go from one crisis, it feels, to another crisis. So I think there, it feels like there's a lot of people waiting for things to go back to normal but actually I like the opportunity that the changes that we're experiencing bring to, to hopefully address some of the long-standing issues um, that I've seen, not just within the NHS, but actually in other industries and sectors. Um, so what I didn't say was that um, I did work in a local authority for over nine years and because uh, I had two kids. And, uh, and what was really interesting was transformation happened about every three to five years and it, it came with the new leadership. Um, I'm not sure that that was the best use of taxpayer money. So we're seeing that kind of again on a very grand scale. But there is something here about what types of leaders um, do you bring into an organization and moving from command and control, I think is absolutely essential for the NHS. But I suspect it will be hard because of the austerity and efficiencies that are going to be coming very quickly from the new government. Excellent. Thank you. Neelam, if you'd like to 
give us your thoughts on that question. Well, so I, I mean, I 100% agree with Samia and uh, Tristy in terms of their their views. I mean, I, I think there are three things that are important for me. I think the situational leadership aspect is is really important, and I've experienced that through my career actually. Um, and I, I mean, I would say I naturally have a, an inclusive leadership and I, I just wonder whether or not that is a, a, a sort of go-to for a lot of females actually but I, I think the more senior you get you then start to depend on your decisive authoritative style because actually this is where outcomes and impact really start to matter you know you start to get more accountability the more senior you get and all of a sudden you have to actually show for you know show some quite hard measures around your leadership and that then I, I feel helps you bridge that inclusivity into a bit more of an authoritative nature but I, I also think that it's important to, to know as Somia said you know be self-reflective on when you're uh, exhibiting those styles and make sure that it fits the culture of the organization and what's required at the right end Somia said I mean the pandemic called for a different style than you you're really going to get the best out of people if you're able to give some of those styles. And I guess the last thing I would say is, well, how, how do you know? And I, I think something that I've learned is that perhaps, and I'm generalising here, but perhaps the public sector aren't as comfortable in asking for feedback as perhaps the private. And what I found very useful is, um, you know, not be shy of asking your team of, well, how did that how did that work for you? And um, I thought I've grown up a lot in the private sector where it's you know, was seen as something that was quite acceptable. I'm not sure how acceptable it, it is uniformly in, in the sector. And I, I just would encourage a lot more leaders uh, and, and feedback because that's the only way you can then start to really monitor your your own leadership according to what works. Love that. Thank you. And uh, Jessica, final thoughts on that question? I, I completely agree with what everyone said. I think that idea of kind of, it, I, it's, it's interesting. So when I was reflecting on this, I did think, is it a, is it a female... Um, style of leadership to say, you know, it, that collaborative style, that idea of situation. And I do think it is, you know, and I was listening to a podcast the other day and um, uh, someone called Julia Boston, I think she's an American um, anchor, um, but she she's just published a book um, and it was called When Women Lead. And her research said that, said that women are better at that collaborative style of leadership. They're better at that empathic style of leadership. And I was thinking, you know, we're moving out of the, I mean, it was, it was so important. My experience of working during the pandemic was it was just so important to have that style. And then we're moving into this new world of ICSs and ICBs. And it's no longer just about working sort of within the IC, uh, kind of the NHS and we've got to think beyond. And I just thought it was, I completely agree. I think we've all kind of touched on it. It's, it's there is a definite style that women have that we've all kind of tr tried to adopt in our in our careers. I think definitely is a, is going to be more of a strength um, in, in the future. Excellent. That's great. Thank you, everyone. Um, we're going to go to Jessica's question. So I'm coming back to you. Um, if you could talk us through this one. So we've got we've got a bit of a it's broken down. Uh, we've, we have. What have your experiences thus far been about? taught you about your leadership more generally and being a female leader in the NHS and you've asked about good practice what have you seen and what you change as well so coming straight to you Jessica um, if you'd like to start us off yeah I think the question kind of was born out of um, I don't know if if anyone else sort of found this but when 
um, the Queen was awarding the St George's Cross, um, and and the, the three CEOs of the NHSs in sort of Wales, Scotland, and England, all women, and. Uh, I, it just kind of hit me that, you know, we probably need to take stock a bit about what it means to be a female leader in the NHS and that rep- how, how important that representation is. Um, noting, of course, I think that they were all white women, which is probably something that we also need to reflect on in our discussion at some point today. But I suppose it's it's kind of what does it take um, to kind of get there? And uh, they were very obvious leaders, but I think there are leaders in, I think, leadership goes throughout, doesn't it? You don't have to be the CEO of the organisation to be the leader. Um, and I, I also thought as well, it's there's something about it's it's not just male versus female in this discussion. There's kind of like what, beyond generally kind of what is good leadership to you. Um, and I think we've already touched on it. It's that idea of, um, for me, it's that situational leadership. And I think something um, that really struck me again during the pandemic was this idea of um, needing to be it's it's taking that authentic leadership to the next level and and kind of being vulnerable um asking for feedback we've just we've just said it so i think um i'd be really interested to to hear what others others think about this one excellent well i'll take it around the panel then so um we will go to neil and get your thoughts on this um i mean it's a great it's a great question actually and i as i said i haven't had experience of being an actual leader in the nhs itself but what I often draw back on are role models had who have been my bosses and leaders and what they've done to support me. And I've, I've learned from them as, as best practices, really. And I, I think one of the key things is um, leaders that really understand their team and push them forward when perhaps they're a bit uncomfortable. And again, I think that that's a bit of a female thing, isn't it? It's you're females are less likely to put their hand up I think um, and 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 say that they can do something mm. when they've got this self-doubt and I, I found particularly in my early career that you know I've had fantastic bosses who, who just said yeah you're, you're doing this and, and they've sort of taken that horrible voice out of my hand really and they've raised my hand for me but not only that but they really um, give me autonomy to, to make some of those mistakes so I've sort of taken on some of that to, to my own team in the organisations I've worked in. And, you know, I guess my philosophy is, um, you know, you, you, you have to back stars in your team. And if, if you're not willing to, to back them, then why did you have them in the team to start? And to make decisions around you know, who you're hiring, make sure, you know, as the, I guess, cliche um, goes, you know, your team has to be better than you. Then it's less of a less of a, a, a decision on who you put forward for projects because you, know, you can trust in them to deliver. And, and I think that that then instills the right leadership behaviour in your team. They automatically feel that they pass that trust on it. Now that's a theory, is all that, but that's what I need to believe because that's the experience I've had in, in many situations and I'm very fortunate. Brilliant. Um, we will go to Tristy to get your thoughts. Uh, wow. I was, I was thinking about what uh, Jessica and Neelam have said, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, how can I add to that? Actually, I can go back just a little bit to the, the previous question. There's something about, for me, 
leadership starts with your values and your purpose and it's wrapped around with your identity and your identity might change over time as you progress or you change your career and I think that is both for at least myself and other women I've met along the way and men um so I'm definitely drawn to leaders who not only talk about their values and their purpose but act on it so I can then as, as far as my examples go and and you reminded me of role models the role models that I looked up to were brave they were reflective they were a little bit manic <laughs> <laughs> but supportive and um and they championed me and they showed me how um that could be done and they did it in their own way they also forced me whether they were conscious of it or not i think most of them were not conscious of it to practice um what it is i wanted to, to do or to achieve um and there was something I had to learn for myself, um, and I'm still practicing this, which is don't have to achieve perfection. It's not about perfection. Mm -hmm. um, and it is something about pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone and taking risks. And it is something about remembering to be kinder to yourself along the way, because it is a learning journey. Um, and I um, appreciate most, and actually I have a mixed set of role models. They're not just women, and they're not just from one industry or sector. So it's those who... Uh, proposed and and supported and did the going together mindset. So they were very mindful of their team and they recognized that our team would be part of networks of networks and that they would enable you to connect across their network. And I think that that was the greatest gift because that helps you to not only share their um, special groups of people that they trust, but also to have the bravery to go and find your own. Fantastic. What a well thought out answer. Thank you. Um, Soima? If we can come to you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to sound a mishmash because in some ways, Neelam, Jessica and Tristy have all said yeah. aspects of this. But for me, what my experiences have taught me um, are be brave, stand up for what I believe in. <clears throat> um, I constantly ask myself, I had multiple opportunities that leaders made available to me. And therefore, what am I doing on a periodic basis to develop my team or, you know, the potential that I see in people? in my team so that's really important um i was allowed to make mistakes um the only thing i was told was when you make a mistake and when you realize you've made a mistake be brave enough to put your hand up and say mm, i think this hasn't worked not kind of brush it under the carpet and say let's move on because you know let's act like that didn't happen no stand there admit to your faults and move on people will respect you more for that and i think that's absolutely true um leadership is about being a critical friend so it's not necessarily telling you what you need to do and how you need to do it but that kind of coach relationship where you can you know you get challenged you get questioned about why you're doing something have you thought this through have you really and it doesn't necessarily mean that what you ultimately end up doing is exactly what your leader would have wanted you to. But it is in that belief that, yes, it's the same path and it's the right path. I think that's very important. Um, every time for me, an experience has been great when I've been pushed out of my comfort zone. It hasn't felt like it then. It's caused a lot of stress and anxiety. But on hindsight now, oh, wow, yeah. You know, stepped out of my comfort zone, did something great, really achieved something. Um, for me, it's, it's key that you walk the talk. You practice what you preach. Um, and Tristy spoke about, you know, well-being and putting yourself first. I've seen so many leaders who say, you know, don't overwork, especially now with non-clinical teams and clinical teams over COVID. Everyone's working way beyond uh, contractual hours. They tell the teams don't work, but then they sit down and send emails at all odd hours of the day and the night. And then what? what's the message that you're giving your team that, you know, a different rule for you and a different rule for them? So I think that's something... That for me is really important. You have to practice what you preach. 
And then um, Jessica said it, be vulnerable. You've made mistakes, stand up there, ask for feedback, make it a part of your development journey. You know, leaders are not perfect. Leaders don't have all the answers, but leaders have some great values and some great skills uh, that they bring to the table. So I think for me, that's really, really key. And some of these points about vulnerability, being brave, standing up for what you believe in, especially true for female leaders, because I think quite a few of us sometimes don't say what we want to in a room full of men. Um, and I find, you know, just the other day, I bumped into someone who was talking about being the only woman in a boardroom where everyone else was talking about the football match. And she said, I hate football. Oh, I've been there so many times. Comfortable one. I thought, let's make all these men uncomfortable. And she said, I said it, I hate football. And then I watched seven other men follow themselves trying to change the topic <laughs> because they suddenly realized, whoa, not inclusive at all. So I think be brave and just stand up for what you believe. Yeah, that's fab. Thank you. Really, really good. Um, I, li- I like this one now that we're coming to. Tristy, so we've got more of a, a talking point here. What we're going to do is you'd like the group to share some practical tips. So we're going to start with early career. So those who are just starting or just getting into the NHS, mid-career and seeking progression. And then finally, uh, career progression. So we'll come to you, Tristy, uh, and get your thoughts and tips of each. So if you're thinking about a career in the NHS, the first thing I would do is, um, well, I would advise someone to really have a chat with the people who work on the front line, <laughs> then move out into the different settings, have those chats. It's very hard to do because you think, actually, if you've just come from school, you're still in school, you think you can't do that because it's still quite hierarchical in school. Go have the chats. Um, and that's because you'll be surprised that many people will make time to have a 15 minute chat with you about their role. In fact, they're quite probably keen to have a chat about their role. <laughs> Uh, so that's what I would say for for someone who's thinking about uh, joining the NHS and they're everywhere right so you can go to your community pharmacist you can go to your GP you could probably pop in and talk to the receptionist at a hospital (laughs) Um, and you can talk to anyone in between that uh, provide health services there's loads of places on the internet pretty easy to find it's just a matter of having the courage to go do it Um, career progression wise um, there are quite a few and I'm going to target this towards women there are quite a few um, networks and organizations Um, supporting women in their leadership journeys in the NHS and in health. Um, And if you're particularly interested in digital health, I'd say the same thing. Um, There's a lot of role models out there. So um, if you're thinking you might like a bit of advice, then go get a mentor um, and uh, contact these different networks, attend an event and have that brave conversation, sticking your head above the parapet and saying, hey, I'm really interested in you possibly being a mentor, especially if they exude the types of values and behaviors that you find inspiring go for it. Fantastic. Really, really good. Thank you. Um, Jessica? Um, Yeah, so I think for me, my start out tip was really similar to Tristy's. It was um, go and talk to people. Um, I found when I started out that um, the the NHS, it has its, its own language. It's just absolutely mind boggling when you first start working either in it or anywhere close to it, I think. And you just start you know, it's it's completely. Um, I, I think it's a it's in a way it's a bad thing. It's, it shows how much work we're going to have to do in our jobs going forwards. But um, I think definitely when you first start out, go and talk to as many people as you can. Um, ask the stupid questions. Um, for the kind Absolutely. of yeah, it's it's so important, isn't it? I think for like the mid career kind of tip it, again, mine's 
probably kind of quite bent towards women in the NHS, really. It's that idea of kind of it doesn't have to be perfect. And I think that as you progress in your career, there there is a tendency to start comparing where you're at with others. And I I do think it's more difficult for women sometimes because we we have that at every stage in our life. And we if we want to have families, if we want to kind of do other things in our private lives, I think there is a slightly different um, I think it's a different context for us than it is for men, unfortunately, still. Um, so I, I, th- I think it is that just don't try not to compare because, you know, you might make a decision to have a family early and therefore have to step away from your career. Then you kind of compare yourself to the person who didn't and think she's light years ahead. Please don't. So I, I just think that's something to um, bear in mind. It's that kind of self-compassion. Fantastic. Zoya, do you want to add some tips? Yeah, I mean... Mine, very simple. I think early career, talk to as many people as possible. Uh, like That's a theme. <laughs> with the NHS, don't get scared with the abbreviations. I think it's a different language when you come in and all I heard was abbreviations. And I would just write down like alphabets in my notebook and go back to my team and say, what does this mean? And what does this mean? What does this oh. mean? Just the discussion doesn't have any context when you don't understand the abbreviation. But yeah, ask ask questions. No question is a stupid question. Uh, talk to people, build a network, um, try and truly understand. I think for me, uh, what's important is your motivation as to why you want to join the NHS. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of students who want careers in the NHS and then also want uh, a paid one-year um, holiday to travel the world. Okay? Mm-hmm. You need to really balance what you want <laughs> along with, um, you know, your your career aspirations. And I, I think you need to work towards it then. So, you know, attend training programs, seek out um, guidance and advice from people. Like Trusty said, get a coach, get a mentor, piggyback on other people's experiences. There are a lot of leaders who are out there who've, who've grown through trial and error. There is no need for you to make the same mistakes you know, learn from their experience, speak to as many people. Uh, network. LinkedIn is a great place. Contact people, you know, spend a little bit of time on your, your own profession. And, you know, I know a lot of people these days say, oh, I have a ban on social media. Yes, by all means, have a ban on TikTok and Instagram Reels. But spend a little bit of time on LinkedIn because it is your professional career that you're developing here. So I think, you know, those things are really important for me. Um, and then, you know, career well, I can't say much about career transition into digital. Um, I, I work in the people space, but I would think that the kind of steps you would do are very similar. Contact senior leaders in 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 your space, in the area that you want to grow into. And we have some really, really compassionate leaders who will take the time out to sit down with you and walk you through their careers and what helped them. So there's lots of uh, help available, even though it may not be advertised. Excellent. Neil, I'm, I'm not sure if we've got any tips left here. Um, do you want to come in with your thoughts? Uh, yeah, there are there aren't very many tips left <laughs> at all. But I guess, again, my, my sort of experience is slightly different, having most of the time spent in the private sector. Um, and the same tips apply. But I, I guess if you're early career, don't be shy of exploring new ideas and opportunities so I, I think you know the millennials are not shy of this at all you know they're very happy to hop from job to job it wasn't in my day actually <laughs> however you know, I, you know I think if you're afraid of, of change there's many more opportunities for a sort of safe opportunity to new projects and gain experience and find out really what, what you like and don't like so 
in addition to networking projects opportunities of um, mid career and I was really interesting what, what interested what Jessica was saying about not sort of caring. I think that that's so true. Um, yeah, I found I I was um, you know I, I felt as if I was on some sort of section, you know, some trajectory. Which looking back on that, I think well, why was that? Because it's it's not the end point. It, it's again the cliche of the journey, isn't it? It's what it's what skills you pick up and you know what what um, relationships you build that carry you forward in the long run. And um, I I think you know, just not to ignore that. I think that's really important when you write out your CV and those skills um, in a way that actually you can then demonstrate what legacy and what footprint you're leaving behind as a mid-career. And then finally, I guess, in terms of transitioning to another uh, sector, I, I mean, there are lots of programs within the NHS that help entrepreneurs, if you like, within the NHS progress their ideas, get funding, get business, you know, things that you wouldn't think possible. There are so many of these out there now. So, you know, I, I, you know, harness it, I guess, and, um, you know, seek those out, go, go to events, make friends in different sectors, and, and there's a whole lot of them out there. So that's what I would say. I wanted to add on one more thing to what Neelam and Jessica had said about this uh, idea of comparing and then to the trajectory, which I always think is like some sort of weird vertical line. Mm. Actually, if we could all just embrace the curvy path, then maybe there will be less emphasis because the curvy path actually brings you lots of joyful, exciting and um, challenging experiences that make you, I think, and what you do um, richer for it. Superb. Um, we are going to round this off now with, uh, I think it's going to come quite nicely onto this. It's Neelam's question. Um, I think it's it's going to be quite personal to you all. So what has been the most important milestone in the career and why? Um, and Neelam, if you could come in with your milestone first, that'd be great. I, yes, that was my question. I had to think that actually there are so many milestones and which, which ones to pick out. And and I guess there are there are three important ones for me uh, very quickly. One of them is when I first started out and and actually it was really having my eyes opened to be my director in my organisation that, that was such, such a role model that um, really made me think about um, a career as, as a female could be. And, and it, it it's quite interesting. It seems quite odd to talk about that now. But when you're first out of university and thinking about the big wide world, all of a sudden to see somebody actually that's that's quite charismatic and very expert in a in a, a role of authority was 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 quite inspiring actually so that was the first one the second one was um actually having the courage to change quite dramatically um a function uh, uh within an organization that i was working in so I, I i worked in regulatory and made the jump to hr and why did i do that well I, I actually fortunately for me my organization believed in uh, growth and development of individuals across functions and really looking at their transferable skills and that was a, a sort of pivotal moment for me because i studied as a scientist and all of a sudden now i was I was in Romeo's world as OD and it was like, whoa, this is incredible, actually. And it opened my eyes to a lot of things that, uh, and experiences and people that were I, I just didn't feel were within my reach. And I guess the third thing was um, um, really when I left industry and I, I 
again, you know, going back to what Christine was saying about trajectory, it, sometimes you're cocooned into this feeling that actually progression is only about upwards. And, uh, and again, I, I sort of made the jump of going out of industry into a, a sort of a brave new world and found that, that actually a packaged experience was quite valuable in other areas. And it was a bit of a revelation. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's good. And 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 that was really important because it drove me again to doing things, building on my experience that that took me to a different place. And you know, th- th- these are all that curvy path milestones, really. And I can only celebrate that because I wouldn't be doing what I know. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That was that was really lovely and uh, personal. So I appreciate that. Um, Sonia, we'll come to you. If that's okay, and uh, if if you don't mind revealing the the personal bit? This was something that I reflected on quite a bit, actually. And I think, um, you know, Tristie, it's probably going to become the term of the call now, the curvy part. Absolutely, <laughs> for me, it's been all about the curvy part. Um, I haven't had a straight line trajectory, even though I've, I've always done something uh, associated with people. And interestingly, all of my really important career milestones or career achievements have happened because of personal decisions in my private life. Um, you know, I started off uh, in my career in India and I actually got married to someone here in the UK. So I had to give up everything in India and come here, which was a risk. Um, I moved, but on hindsight, it was it was one of the best things I could have done because I moved into a completely different area of, of, of HR people. Again, uh, you know, when he was he was training to um, a, a doctor, when he finished his training and moved to where we are now, Lincolnshire, again, it was a huge risk for me. I moved, I moved away from London into Lincoln. I had a lot of people, my friends who said, what are you doing? Yeah, this is, is this the right career discussion, decision for you? And at that point of time, it was because of the children. I said, no, I, you know, children and family come first and this is what I need to do. But again, on hindsight, it was one of the best things that I could have done. So I think for me in my life, all of the really important career milestones um, have been because of decisions that uh, I've taken personally. But what is the common theme amongst all of it? I think take risks. You are far stronger than you believe you yourself to be and you can achieve so much more if you have half the belief in yourself that people around you do excellent oh brilliant stuff thank you um and Tristy, if you can go next um okay <clears throat> so <laughs> it said one milestone but i think i have four and they were each of the transitions in my curvy path so the first one was i started my career in the ngo sector so the non-governmental organization sector in the san francisco bay area pre.com book. so this is you know before the internet was commercialized so these organizations were interested in social justice um and environmental issues like climate change before it became a thing because <laughs> it already was a thing um and human rights uh, organizations that were committed to that um, and my life decision i made a personal life decision to move across uh, the ponds to the UK and leave that career behind because I couldn't do that work apparently from the Midlands at the time. So um, I started working in a local authority and I stayed there for a little bit longer than I had planned uh, because I had two kids. Um, so my second, so that was my second uh, milestone was adapting to UK life and figuring out how my career would evolve in the public sector from a local authority lens. So bigger organization, um, lots of things to learn about um, elected members. Love that as an American. Boy, was that a privilege, you know, to be the trusted <laughs> advisor to the elected members on their technology needs at the time. Um, and also learning about transformation every three to five years. Hmm, not sure about that one. Um, 
and then when the global recession hit in 2008-9, it was like, hmm, maybe it's time for me to make a change and test my metal in the private sector. So that was my third change and um, was to go and do technology consulting for five years and took me down to London and, and different parts of the UK and, and, and actually overseas. Um, I had one common theme there, which was still technology was about people. It didn't matter what shiny new thing you brought in. It was whether or not you could bring, you could bring the people with you to achieve the types of outcomes and benefits that the, uh, the firm was seeking. And it didn't matter whether you were a magic circle law firm or your global enterprise in banking and finance or maybe the second largest industry it's second largest insurance provider in Asia right it was still about the people now whether or not I got through all of my messages that I wanted about the people is a whole nother podcast I think for me um the last one was actually going hmm Maybe the private sector isn't quite right for me, or maybe this, I, you know, lots of factors going on there. But coming back into the NHS was um, my my last milestone, and and uh, for now, um, and and I found that fascinating because. Um, being at kind of the mid end of my career. I don't know. I don't know how long I'm supposed to expect to be working now. Um, but I think, right. Okay. What can You're I do? You're not that here? old. <laughs> oh dear. I feel it. Um, so there's something about all of these lived, these years, these, these years of lived experience, these different geographic locations and all the cultural idiosyncrasies between the U S and the UK. And then my international colleagues, peers, and friends that I've met along the way, how do I bring that into my work. So I'm going to close with this. It was basically something about all along, what, what is good? What are we saying is good here? And how can I get to better? The next one was about decision-making because it's something about getting to better means you got to make better decisions. And uh, what does better decision-making looks like? Well, that meant looking at who is at the table at the time. And I thought, hmm, that means we need to think about design, design of operating models, designs of policies. Again, how does that all happen? That happens when we start thinking about inclusivity and equally belong. Absolutely amazing. Thank you. Closing statement. Thank you. <laughs> Jessica, what would you like to, to add? And um, we'll that follow amazing. That. How would yeah. I follow that? <laughs> uh, all of your answers have been, I think it's a great question, Neelam, actually. Um, it kind of got me doing some reflection that I just, I don't think I, ref, I don't think we reflect enough like about, about this stuff, do we? So, um, yeah, I think for me, I did I did only go with one, so that's probably a good thing, given <laughs> given um, given uh, that I, I I think it's it's hard to follow Tristy. So um, my <laughs> my kind of one milestone I think that really stuck out for me was, and it's following the theme of um, the curvy path that we've we've all touched on. So um, I am a product of the. Um, NHS graduate management scheme like factory right so uh, you come straight out of university you go into a grad scheme they indoctrinate you and they tell you that you're going to be like I don't know the director in five years and the CEO in 10 right so you're sat and you're thought you think you know it is all kind of one um, diagonal line um, and I had done um I'd been in the NHS for a couple of years and I've been doing an, an ops job an operational management job for um maybe about two years and it was just um my goodness uh, I, I still think to this day ops management is is one of the hardest jobs you can do in, in the NHS I think it, the the pre-pandemic uh, it was hard so um I decided I'd, I'd try and look for something different and I applied at, on a whim um for a, for a job um, in the cabinet office and it was um, had a really fancy title strategic 
um, delivery advisor or something uh, that didn't make any sense. Um, but uh, it was amazing because it it was again, it was I took a real punt and it kind of required experience that I just didn't have. I think when I looked at the job description, <laughs> I thought, I think I match like 50 percent of this, but I'm just going <laughs> to go maybe it. less. But I'm going to go for it. It was one of those <laughs> weird things. And um, the recruiting manager at the time took a complete punt on me. And um, when I think about it, the job, whilst I wasn't qualified for it when I started, I think, um, I learned so much on the job. And I think this is a theme from what everyone's been saying today. It's kind of taking that risk and kind of betting on myself. I learned more in those um, two years at the cabinet office, I think, than I had in the previous four years in the NHS. So I think um, I think for me, it was key and it built my confidence massively. Um, just thinking like, oh, actually, I can do different things. And I ended up dibble dabbling in digital and, and learn what an API was and all those things. And I think it, it is really amazing because I think taking those risks is kind of the key to career transition, is the key to becoming a better leader. You know, and so I, I think it's it's been a real a real theme of, of the discussion today. So I'm pleased that was my milestone and I didn't come with something else. <laughs> well rounded. No, I love that. Thank you so much. Um, does anyone want to add anything on, on anything said today? No, brilliant. No, it's been a, a fantastic discussion. I've really enjoyed having you all on uh, and I just want to take the opportunity to thank you again for providing your insight. Uh, and I've personally learned a lot. So I just want thank you again and I'm sure everyone listening will feel the same so thank you very much.